As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello, welcome to Full Time with Megalyn Hand. Thank you again for tuning into this podcast, which is all about women's soccer on the Athletic Podcast Network. I am your host, as always, as it says on the title, Megalyn Hand, and I'm a staff writer at the Athletic covering the NWSL and the U.S. Women's National Team. So it is December. It is actually snowing here in New York City outside of my window. Nothing is slowing down. Last week, I told you about the ongoing situation with Utah Royals FC and a potential ownership group in Kansas City with the potential that the team could relocate this offseason ahead of the 2021 season. And that announcement was made official on Monday, December 7th. A lot more on this from both the Utah and Kansas City sides with my fellow writer Chris Kamrani of The Athletic here so we can walk through all of our reporting. Plus, Danielle Russell, the media director for the Blue Crew, is here to talk about getting the NWSL back in Kansas City. So also, our Black Friday deal might be over, but it is still, of course, the holidays. Again, that snow beautiful outside my window. So that also means a brand new deal for you. Now, if you want to start your new subscription to The Athletic, you can sign yourself up and get a gift subscription for someone in your life for free. To buy one, gift one, just visit theathletic.com slash full-time. You get the gift you both want, one price, two subscriptions, every single team, including all of our women's soccer coverage. Also, the same rooting interests are, of course, not required. All right, on to the news. Now, most of this week revolved around the NWSL news for the team relocation, so I'm going to give you the basics now, but then really save the rest of it for the actual episode. First, so the way that this transaction works when it comes to the relocation from Utah to Kansas City, the NWSL bought the rights to the Royals back from Deloy Hansen, then awarded a new expansion team to the new group in Kansas City led by Angie and Chris Long. This is essentially a reverse of the same process between FC Casey and the Royals back in 2017. The new KC team will inherit the Utah roster, plus the team's allocation money, draft picks, and draft pick order. The new KC team already does have a new head coach, Hugh Williams, who served as FC Casey's general manager alongside coach Flacco Andonofsky. You might know his name, but they still need to announce a team name, brand, stadium, and training facilities, the works. I did speak with both Angie and Chris Long earlier this week, and I've got a full Q&A up with them on The Athletic. And again, this is the topic of the episode, so a lot more to come on this in a few minutes. One player to keep an eye on, Emily Sonnet. I reported on Tuesday that she's had some interest in Europe after her spell in Sweden, including contract offers from two teams so far, one in England, one in Germany. Sonnet's rights, of course, are with Orlando Pride, but as of right now, she is weighing her options. We did get an actual NWSL trade this week between O.L. Reign and the North Carolina Courage. Taylor Smith is making her return to carry as she played under head coach Paul Riley with the 2016 Western New York Flash, then when the team moved to Carolina in 2017. The Courage also picked up the rights to England international Jody Taylor, who is currently with Lyon. For the rain, they added Allie Watt, one of the Courage's 2020 draft picks who had big expectations for her, but she only ended up playing 13 minutes of the NWSL Challenge Cup before suffering an ACL tear. She is still making her return from that injury back in July. And one final thing that I did think was worth noting in this section, I mean, I know firsthand how engaged 
all of you are on social media, but Zoomf has provided the data to the site called Win-Win Partnerships. The NWSL led the way on engagement on both Twitter and Instagram when it came to pro leagues, finishing ahead of the WNBA, MLS, MLB, NHL, NFL, and NBA. But honestly, is anyone who has seen NWSL Twitter surprised by this? The answer should be no. All right, so let's get right to it. Chris Kamarani is back on full-time, and we are ready to walk you through all of the reporting on Utah Royals FC, Utah Soccer Holdings, that whole kit and caboodle, so let's just get right to it. Chris, we've spent so much time on Slack (laughs) talking to each other about what has been happening in Utah. So let's just start, let's just start with, we now know the fate of Utah Royals. And I'm, I'm wondering if this was always going to be kind of the inevitable outcome. There were three different paths, right? And this was the reporting from back in November of some miracle happens and they find an owner in Utah team gets moved to Kansas City or the team just doesn't exist anymore. Was this what we saw this week? Was that kind of the inevitable outcome of those three paths? I think so, mainly because the Royals needed to avoid being stuck in purgatory, so to speak, because the turnaround time between Deloitte selling the Royals and the NWSL draft and preseason was just so tight. It was impossible to expect something of this size and magnitude to go down in such a condensed time frame, And I think that in essence kind of sealed the fate of, of the Royals needing to be moved. And right. that I think is particularly gutting for, for the fan base here and for the, for the, um, amount of growth and positive growth and necessary growth that the league and the team and the sport made here in, in Northern Utah. But I I think for me, from, from a macro point of view, without putting in danger, the 2021 season for this franchise, they just needed to move as quickly as possible. Right. I think there's also, I mean, obviously we've talked a lot about the 2017 situation where FC Kansas city moved to Utah, right? Like, I mean, you covered that when you were still at Salt Lake Tribune, but I think, The other part of this, too, is that at the exact same time that FC Kansas City was falling apart, the league was also dealing with the Boston Breakers. And the Boston Breakers went through kind of what we're talking about here with Utah could have been in this limbo. They did that with the Breakers where they thought maybe an ownership group would step in and market, let them go through the draft process. And then like two weeks later, we're like, okay, well, actually, Boston Breakers are not going to exist anymore. We're going to have to do a dispersal draft. So I think that there was some real hesitance from an NWSL point of view to relive the worst of the 2017 into 2018 offseason. Right. And I think the conversations regarding how this transpires might be different if this if this goes on in March or April or even in the summertime, as opposed to late August and September. Uh, because the just the the way that this news cycle broke down from a Utah soccer holdings perspective, it was just the worst possible time for every soccer entity, including the Royals, including RSL, including the Monarchs, and, and basically everything under the Deloitte Hanson umbrella was suddenly kind of painted into a corner and needing a long-term solution immediately. And when you're dealing with relocating an entire sports franchise and dealing with the millions of dollars that is you know, necessary to do so, these things just don't happen overnight. Right, right. All right. So as you just mentioned, Utah Soccer Holdings. Now, when, <clears throat> when we work together, obviously I'm coming at this from mostly a Royals perspective, but I am also sort of involved in the RSL side of things and the Monarch side of things. Can you walk people through what the remaining situation still is in Utah, especially with, you know, there are still so many pieces to Deloitte Hansen's Utah Soccer Holdings kind of still up in the air. Yeah. So um, we'll start off with the kind of newsy part. We were able to ask Don Garber, the MLS commissioner for the first time since Deloitte announced that he was putting his properties up for sale about his take on the situation. He did say yesterday that the investigation that MLS launched into the culture under Deloy Hansen and Chief Business Officer Andy Carroll has concluded, and it concluded about three weeks ago, and they're waiting to unveil their findings after MLS Cup on Saturday. 
And uh, it will be interesting to see what those findings um, entail and, and what is specifically released. But from a, from a soccer perspective, still related to what's going on in Utah, RSL and the Royals are kind of in this limbo where the Royals avoided being. Obviously, I think everybody here would have loved to have the Royals stay, but at least the Royals have a definitive um, immediate future and a long-term future, whereas RSL, it's still up in the air. They need to figure out who their new owners ownership or new owner is going to be in order to start bankrolling the business, the financials, the roster upgrades that are necessary for this team to compete. Um, there are lots of layers to this conversation, as we know. And just like the Royals on the NWSL side, the, the turnaround time is, is dwindling for, for RSL and the MLS side of this because uh, the MLS Super Draft will be coming up in, in January and teams reconvene for the 2021 season in mid to late January for training camp. Right. Right. So again, it, I, th I think if you're looking at this from a casual uh, you know, point of view, or even if you're a diehard spectator, you want some finality for the RSL um, perspective now because the Royals, they're, they, they've finished, you know, they, they're gone, unfortunately, but they have a new spot. RSL, while Don Garber said they don't plan on selling to an ownership group that would relocate the team, you still need to be able to figure out what the plan is for this organization moving forward. And I do think there is some, um, there are some assets that will be attractive to, you know, potential owners or ownership groups. They, they have a, a uh, soccer specific stadium in Sandy. They have a uh, soccer complex out in Harriman, which is about 20 minutes South of Sandy that was, you know, created by Deloitte Hansen. That was almost a hundred million dollars. And that will, you know, go far in terms of what might be uh, enticing the glitz and glamour of the, the, uh, the nuts and bolts are always going to be the team itself, but uh, you need to have some other things that sweeten the deal. And I think right now that that helps, but they also just have to come to an agreement sooner than later. And the, the other part of this that we haven't even talked about <laughs> is, is MLS will be taking over the sales responsibilities from Deloitte Hansen come January 8th, if he can't get a, a buyer cemented and, and get a deal locked down. And, you know, based on everything we're hearing, that's not going to happen. So MLS is going to have to take this thing over and that's going to add another wrinkle to this whole thing. Right. Right. I, w I really wanted to talk to you about the MLS piece of this, because I think that there has been a little bit of angst on the NWSL side of like, why couldn't the NWSL do more to keep the Royals in Utah? And obviously I think, you know, NWSL does not necessarily have the same resources as even an MLS, even as we've seen MLS kind of, you know, hit some of the financial concerns of 2020. But from your point of view as someone who's kind of immersed in both of these worlds, was there anything, you know, MLS is about to step in on January 8th. Again, not a great turnaround time for NWSL, but could there have been some kind of working agreement between MLS and NWSL of like, these are, these are a package deal or is it because they are two completely yeah. separate, you know, single entity leagues yeah. and, and there's no real crossover that this really did have to be kind of this independent process. I mean, I think you would have had to have all the stars align for it to work out that way. I wouldn't say it would have been impossible though. I think you would have just needed the right amount of minds to come together and be collaborative on this process. And like I said, considering everything we're facing in 2020 with the pandemic, with the oddities of these respective leagues and their schedules and games being postponed and canceled and, and players and staff testing positive, this was basically the worst possible year for something like this to happen for, for both the NWSL and the MLS side. Um, that's a long-winded way of saying I think it could have worked out, but I, I do think for the for the – longevity of the Royals, it was better that it went down this way because if there was kind of a under the table agreement, maybe that falls apart. And as we know, unfortunately and unfairly, maybe the, um, the focus turns to MLS and then Royals are suddenly stuck on an Island and facing potentially what, you know, Boston and what Casey, mm -hmm. you know, faced earlier this decade. Right. Right. All right. So 
there is a mechanism for the royals to potentially return, right? So yes, NWSL buys the rights to the team back from Deloitte Hansen, but any potential uh, new buyer of Utah Soccer Holdings is eventually going to get this clause worked into this contract of you own Utah Soccer Holdings, you get the option of coming back to the NWSL in 2023 via a new expansion team. And it, first of all, it's just an option, right? Like they're going to set a price and say, if you want to come back, we're going to lock in that price for you right now and we'll make it probably a little more appealing, right? You get to re, you know, bring back all the Royal stuff too. Um, do we think that this is a possibility? Do we think it's too early to tell entirely because it could be, you know, we think that we, there's a leading candidate maybe for this this purchase, but, you know, there's still, <laughs> you still got to get the deal across the line, right? Right. I, I, I think the possibility is, is pretty strong, to be honest with you. I, I do think what the Royals were able to carve out here in such a small, unique market in such a short amount of time went a really long way. And it did so with not the best ownership. So if you want to be an optimist and say, if you had the right group in place that wanted to um, welcome the Royals back and do it the right way, there's a, a, a train of thought that maybe they can even build on it and expand their reach, expand their, um, you know, their viewership from a TV perspective, get more butts in the seats, all of that stuff. And I think what, what, what's really unique about Utah is that there just aren't a lot of professional sports franchises here. We just have the Jazz and we have RSL, but RSL only came about 15 years ago. So I think that was one of the reasons why the Royals were so well received was because they felt like they were, you know, it's an addition to a, a burgeoning place. You know, Utah is one of the fastest growing places in the country. And you saw that with the, the rampant amount of interest in the Royals. And I mean, the Royals even said so themselves when they started in 2018, like it meant a lot to them that they were being put inside Rio Tinto stadium, as opposed to playing out on the turf field in Harriman where the Monarchs played, where I think a lot of, um, you know, owners would have, would have put their NWSL teams, the, they, the Royals, you know, commanded a presence at Rio Tinto stadium to be, you know, treated just like RSL and, and it, it's the little things like that went a really long way in the beginning. And I think um, if you have the right owners or ownership groups step in, it, it could go a long way in terms of, you know, revitalizing uh, a, a really unique, important part of what the Utah sports landscape was. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Right. And I think so we're we're starting to talk about like what the Royals really meant to the landscape of women's soccer in Utah and so, to soccer in Utah, right? But I'm I'm there's another part to this too of just, you know, the Royals were also the second highest attendance in NWSL and it was really without a, like yes, there was marketing, right? But I mean, like we have seen now we have the the joy of 2020 hindsight, right? Of like knowing that yes, there was marketing, but what actually happened was maybe not like the the best intention that we yeah. could have gotten, right? Like, so what happens if you actually have like someone operating in good faith at hundred percent to sell this team? Like, there, I do think that there is such a huge place for Utah Royals in NWSL. Like, but on the flip side of that, I think we also need to talk about with the, the relocation of the team, what this says about NWSL, because I think the, the beat that I keep trying to hammer home is that 
fundamentally, I mean, you trace back the root cause of this team's relocation, yeah. and it comes back to Dole Hansen. It does not necessarily come back to anything about the sustainability of the league or anything along those lines. And just from your point of view as someone who covered the team yeah. from you know day one, where, where your thoughts are at on that front? Yeah, I mean, I think we do have to continually take that into account. The reality is the Royals aren't here anymore because of what took place from a, a, a top to bottom um, chain of events. And as I mentioned before, the worst possible year for this to happen. I, I do optimistically believe that if this stuff goes out, goes down in spring, I do think there's a much higher chance that the Royals don't, don't move, but the calendar, nothing allowed. There was no wiggle room. There was simply no wiggle room. And they, for the, for the sake of the, the franchise, they needed to move. And I understand that. I, I guess when, when I think about what women's soccer and what, you know, professional women's soccer represents here, there is just such an untapped market because soccer is huge in the state. We perennially have really good college women's soccer teams in BYU. BYU is, you know, kind of a, a regional powerhouse. We, and we develop NWSL talent, national team talent. Kalea Ojai is grew up a, a block from Rio Tinto stadium. So I, I do think there, there is still room to continually grow what the Royals kind of laid down in terms of a foundation, but it is frustrating. And frankly, it's a bummer to see it never really get off the ground the way it could have, because I think if, if you would have told any casual NWSL fan in 2018, that in the fall of, 2018, the Royals would have Becky Sauerbrunn, Kristen Kress, Kelly O'Hara, Laura Harvey, like people would have said, holy bleep, you know what I mean? And to see that all kind of come tumbling down in such a short amount of time is is very disappointing. So, I mean, this this is a story that like we've been really reporting on since the beginning, just in terms of, I mean, you know, we worked on that story about the toxic culture in Utah. And I mean, when I think about where everything starts from, it's obviously from all of this reporting and, and you know, kind of the, the larger moment of 2020. But I do want to specifically kind of dig in to the legacy of Dilla Hansen, particularly as an NWSL owner. I mean, I heard a lot this past week about as all of these negotiations are happening between NWSL, Dilla Hansen, this new ownership group in, in Kansas City, you know, Deloitte had the rep of kind of stepping in as a savior in 2017, yeah. right? Like, I mean, the league is kind of at that, that very vulnerable moment. And then you get Deloitte Hansen coming in kind of out of left field and, and bumping up the schedule to say, no, I'm going to take a team. I'm going to move it now. So then you skip to this week and people are, are out here saying like Deloitte Hansen is actively trying to destroy his own legacy. But just now that we have that gift mm -hmm. of 2020 hindsight, right? So before we started recording this, you sent me some articles from 2017. Yep. And there was one in, in Salt Lake Tribune that really, I think, sums it up because when you when you go back to 2017, and, and this is when I was working for the league, right? Like, I remember the rhetoric kind of around this team of like, we are going to put this on completely equal footing with Real Salt Lake. Yep. This is going to be the same level. This is going to be the number one pro sports team. Deloitte Hansen is going to put $2 million into this right off the bat, like locker rooms. And now, now we're here. Yeah. Right? Yeah. We're <laughs> like, it's just, <laughs> it's just so like, talk about like the rise and fall. Yeah. Um, it, it was really, it's, it's hard because as I was, you know, exchanging messages with you today, being kind of the boots on the ground reporter when the team arrived and being able to have um, some pretty decent access to these, these players, it was really hard not to be a prisoner of the moment because you're dealing with lifelong pros or rook, like lifelong pros like Amy Rodriguez, who's been through the ringer um, at, at various levels. And then you see these rookies coming in and you have, you know, rookies coming into a, a million dollar locker room and you thought like, this is the way this league is going to be going. Everything is being changed. The stakes are being upped. And, and for a good little bit, they were. I mean, we have to be real. 
I, I'd been, I went into the Royals locker room. I'd been in the RSL locker room plenty of times. The Royals locker room was nicer than ourselves, frankly. <laughs> and that's good. That's necessary. Right. But over time, we saw a kind of a, a, a trail of crumbs left behind Deloy Hansen, behind Andy Carroll, that you kind of started to think, hmm, and it, and I think the most prevalent one, one of the most uncomfortable ones was the, was the faux proposal to Kristen press during the Royals game. And, and you wonder like, is this just a, an owner who's overstepping his boundaries and is, and is acting in good faith, but doesn't know how to go about it the right way. And I think at the time he was cut slack from a lot of folks in the league and fans of the league, because here's a guy that essentially needed to serve as a bankroller for NWSL for the longevity and the sake of the league. And that's what the league needed in order to grow. I mean, unfortunately, everybody's going to compare themselves to the thorns. And, and, and the reality is nobody is going to be able to match that for a long, long time, if ever. So when you have the Royals come in, they sell out the first game, they're averaging 10 to 11,000 fans a game inside an MLS stadium. I, I think a lot of folks, especially here, were like, holy shit, this thing could, could actually work. And over time, as we've seen, especially throughout the course of our reporting, there were just um, some breakdowns over time that resulted in missteps and inappropriate behavior and you can there's kind of a laundry list now so i don't know really really know how you want how you want me to start kind of breaking this thing down but (laughs) i mean so in this article that you sent me there's a quote and like a lot of it is is that kind of like you know the the speechifying that we really expected from the team at that point but there is this story, and I cannot get over the fact that this is a quote actually given to a newspaper by Deloitte Hansen, but he's talking about going to meet with Merritt Paulson about potentially stepping into the league early. He's on the plane. He's basically already decided, no, I'm going to do this, right? Like, logic aside, I'm going to step in. I'm going to save this team. Let's start thinking of a name. And obviously, there is a, a theme, right, in Utah. So you have to go with that kind of royal theme. And here is the quote, and I'm going to be thinking about this for at least a month. And it's wild to me that this did not surface in 2017. Like, because this, if this quote dropped right now, it would probably start like a a two to three day angst fest on NWSL Twitter. But the actual quote was, I thought the little princesses doesn't work that would be kind of derogatory. Yeah. And now looking at, and I'm just like, oh, there it is, right? Well, yeah, I mean, I think for those of us who have dealt with Deloy Hansen over time, the tongue in cheek just doesn't really work. And I think, I'm not cutting the man slack or making him excuses or anything, but I think what was once perceived to be this, um, cordial back and forth, even in interviews, I just don't think really ever really resonated with him. And I think that's kind of part of the ultimate undoing is his inability to not put his own foot in his mouth on the record. And that's not even talking about things that were going on behind the scenes that we weren't really able to unveil until a couple of months ago. Right. I think the other part of this too is, and and this is something that we've talked about in the past that, you know, just in terms of when a women's professional league is kind of dependent on <laughs> essentially rich men, yep. right? Um, that's where you start to get into this thing of like, okay, so is this coming from a, a good faith thing? Is it coming from this kind of like paternalistic thing? Can those things operate at the same time? Like, can you... It's just a really weird, hard space to navigate of who's sure. getting involved and why. For sure. And I think the, the the one thing that I've come around to kind of compartmentalizing is when our reporting came out uh, a couple months ago and I was having this discussion with my wife, um, we reported that they were being, the Royals were being told to market who the, the men in power believed to be the most attractive as part of their marketing scheme. You wouldn't say, let's go find the most handsome players on RSL and make sure they're on the billboards. 
You know what I mean? And I, and I think that's just a very minor part of this whole thing, but it goes a very, very long way. And unfortunately it provided, um, too, too often an uncomfortable work environment after something started so glowingly well. And that's, and I think that's going to be the ultimate part of the legacy is here's this man and here's this club and this market that could have changed the complexion of NWSL forever. I really do believe so. And then all of a sudden it doesn't really work out that way. Right. All right. So let's, let's end with what's next. I think we're really just waiting to see what happens with Utah soccer holdings, but, and again, also like if that potential owner maybe steps in and, and has a good long think about bringing the NWSL back. But do you think that there's something that people should be keeping an eye out for between now and January 8th, or is it really just January 8th that we are now waiting on? Yeah, I just don't think the way that this calendar year is gone, Meg, I don't think I can see anything really substantial happening in the next three weeks. Um, not to mention like little things like it's the holiday season, the pandemic is at its height. I don't think there's any logical way that any sort of deal is struck before January 8th. Um, but I do think from a Royals perspective, I do think if you find the right owners or ownership group, I, I do think there is a pathway back here. You just need the right people in charge and you need the right people in charge to hire people who know what they're doing. I think that's definitely part of the minutia part of this whole thing. Obviously it's always going to be a trickle down, a top down effect, but it's about who the, the people in charge hire at the, at the, um, technical staff level, at the front office level, on the marketing level, all of these things go a very, very long way in order to make a sport like this grow in a place like Utah, where in a very short time it showed it could grow. You just need, right. like, as you mentioned earlier, imagine what this could have been if they had the right people in the right spots. Yeah. And like stakeholders who actually fundamentally believed in the concept of, of women's soccer as its own. Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. I mean, the product sells itself. And if you have, and I, and I go back to this thing at the end of the day, like fans want to see a good team in any sport. I know like some owners and you know, the, the, the people in charge get, get obsessed with the bells and whistles on the periphery. Like at the end of the day, they just want a fun team to watch. They want good players to watch and they want to root for their team to win. It's not rocket science. And right. For, for a while, it looked like the Royals were set up for the long haul. And it's, it's always going to be uh, one of those what if things here. But I do believe a pathway remains. It's just going to be uh, a little longer, a little more uh, stretched out, but it's going to be there. All right. Well, I think that's the perfect place for us to end. Thank you, Chris, for coming on and walking through all of, all of this reporting and storytelling that we've We've gotten to work together on now for, for months and months, but I'm sure also it is not going to come to an end anytime soon. Thank you to Chris for coming back on the pod. And along with Paul and Sam at our Soccer Vertical, reporting on really everything in Utah has been this giant, very collaborative effort, but it is always good to be able to dive into our reporting more fully. Next up, Daniel Russell of the Blue Crew is here. She is the Supporters Group Media Director and someone who knows the pain of losing a team firsthand when FC Kansas City seized operations in 2017 and that roster went to Utah. But now Kansas City gets a second chance at the NWSL and the new organization is going to need this existing, passionate fan base's help from the jump. Here's Danielle. I want to start uh, with you reliving some pain, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, like let's just get the pain over and done with, but I do want to I do want to flash back to 2017 because I think it is really important context as we're talking about the team coming back to Kansas City, right? Like mm -hmm. at, in during 2017, I'm working at NWSL, right? So I've yeah. seen it kind of from the inside in terms of you know you there's also the bigger context too of the league is scrambling to save two teams at the mm -hmm. same time, right? It's not just FC Kansas City that is kind of falling apart. Boston Breakers are doing the exact same thing at the exact time. And obviously as someone from Boston, like I'm both, like I'm torn between yeah. two worlds of like, yes, I have to be impartial. I work for the league, but like Boston Breakers is really my team. So like mm -hmm. I'm probably honestly paying a little bit more attention to the situation in Boston also because there's no like, there's no immediate solution there. But anyway, yeah. let's get to, to FC Kansas City 
what really ends up happening is kind of the reverse of what happened this week is FC Kansas City shutters and the team roster, everything heads to Utah. But yep. from from your point of view, the Kansas City point of view, you know, it had kind of been like 2017 was not necessarily the greatest season yeah. in terms of FC Casey and like what we had come to expect from that team. So what are yep. your memories of that sort of long March to November? <laughs> well, my big thing is we were really hopeful and the FO of that team was really under the assumption that it's all going to be good. We're going to have a team. They believed it. So there were all the rumors going. And then, you know, all the rumors were going, but we're like, nope, it's fine. We feel good. My season tickets are in. It's great. And then um, in November, uh, the night it kind of became real, it was Um, One, it was the president of Blue Crew's birthday, Anna. So we always joke every year on her birthday um, how great that was. But um, the the funniest part of it is the last tweet we had posted on Blue Crew was about saving the crew because that was where all the soccer energy was. And I was down visiting um, my friend Dana in Texas, and we were down in Austin. And uh, all of a sudden, the news about Utah getting the team broke. So I... All I can think about of that whole experience is me sitting in Dana's car in a Motel 8 parking lot in Austin crying because <laughs> the team folded. I was like, Dana, please give me your car keys. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. All right. So, I mean, obviously there is, like, as someone who who obviously did not want the Boston Breakers to fold, like, there is a mm-hmm. tremendous amount of pain. But, you know, now Kansas City is getting a team back. But also, even though Utah has not necessarily yeah. had NWSL for a huge amount of time, like, you, you know that no. those supporters' pain – I mean, not for it to turn into like a self-help call here, but like, yeah. is there advice? Like the nice thing about there is a silver lining in some of this mm-hmm. news that there is a mechanism for a team to potentially come back to Utah via an option for 2023, right? Like yeah. there is at least that one like, oh, maybe this could happen. Mm-hmm. But in the meantime, like what did what did the Blue Crew learn in terms of like that immediate kind of pain of losing a team? Yeah, there's... I think one thing that we learned and I personally learned is there's no right way to handle yourself. You don't have to go to, you know, support Kansas city just because your players are there. I, I mean, I didn't support Utah. It was, I had to root against Becky Sauerbrunn and I'm a big Becky Sauerbrunn fan. That was weird for me. Um, and it's okay if you don't, and it's okay if you don't want to watch the league for a year, obviously you want to support it, but it's, it seems dramatic to say it, but it's okay to grieve and there's no right way to grieve. And so if you just are like, nope, not watching, that's fine. If you go to, if you come over to Kansas City, that's cool. If you go to a different team, I was, I supported Chicago, so it's okay. Yeah. In terms of the actual, you know, the the fun part of this week was also not just I feel like, first of all, there's like a million NWSL accounts now of like bring NWSL to City, right? And so there had been this one for like bring NWSL back to Mm -hmm. KC. And so I remember that. But, you know, Blue Crew really seemed like it's still the core had stuck together from 2017 on. And I'm wondering how you hold that kind of, is it just kind of this community thing of like, well, we all met up via... (laughs) FC Kansas City so we might as well just stick together and watch the league like how do you keep a supporters group without an actual team going it's hard and it's not going to be the same um we a lot of us were friends just in general so we um just continued to talk like we were like basically it was an extended off season 
without the planning. Um, but also things did change. I mean, you know, instead of, you know, all these mutual acquaintances, it was um, more of a core group, the people who were there the longest. Um, so it's hard. And then we really wanted to stay active on social media, support our former players, uh, support Kansas City in general, because there are um, WPSL teams, there are, there's just a lot of soccer down there. Mm-hmm. Um, so we wanted to do that, support people who were associated with the team. So like the 49ers and Katie, uh, well, Katie and her sister Liz both helped out with um, the FO. So we wanted to make sure to support her, uh, the Chiefs and stuff like that. So we just wanted to be active, but not going for all the attention, I guess you'd say. Right, right. But does the, did the 2019 World Cup kind of help? Like at least there's kind of some events to, yeah. to build around. And Kansas City has always like traditionally been a very good market for the Women's World Cup, especially, I mean, you look mm-hmm. at the TV numbers from 2015 and 2019, Casey's always up there. Yeah, it did help. Um, it helped in a way, but it also just made us all bitter and trash talking too. Um, so there was a lot of, okay, cool. Great. Where were you guys? Yeah. All right. I want to navigate those emotions though. (laughs) Right. Because I mean, I think it is, it is something really interesting in terms of, I think the expectation has always been Kansas city is a good soccer town, Mm -hmm. right? Yet (laughs) FC Casey doesn't get the support that it needed, right? So mm-hmm. first, before we get to maybe like the bigger picture of the landscape in Kansas City, I want to actually talk through the mechanics of getting the second chance at the NWSL. First of all, did you ever expect a second chance at the NWSL in Kansas City? Not at all. So I first started hearing buzz earlier this summer, maybe late spring, and we thought a couple of us were like, okay, sure, <laughs> quit talking to that person. They're always going to get your hopes up. Like the team's never, the league's never going to give us a second team. Come on. Um, And then it started getting a little more real, but you know, I, I figured out what was kind of happening and I still was like, eh, but there's no way it can happen. No way. So I didn't think it would ever happen. Or if it did, I thought there would be a lot in line ahead of us. Right. I mean, obviously the expansion picture has gotten Mm -hmm. considerably more crowded for NWSL, but all right, so what what do you think are maybe some of the lessons that we could take away from the FCKC era of of women's professional soccer, at least the, the NWSL version of it, right? I mean, obviously WPSL mm-hmm. has existed and is always kind of in the larger picture, but do you see some lessons from round one that could be applied to round two? I think marketing is always going to be the number one thing. Um, with the first ownership group, in my opinion, it kind of was, we got to go towards the youth teams. And okay, so you can get big numbers one game, but that's not sustainable. We always were on their case about that. Um, And then the second ownership group, they did a little better with marketing, but I don't know what it was. They definitely were going for more soccer people, but they just didn't spend the money or try. So I think marketing is going to be number one. Right, right. And I think that has always been, you know, that's, that's the discussion around the end of it since day yeah. one of just like, what crowd do you go after? You know, mm-hmm. can you can you go after that sort of bigger soccer market of adults, right? Like, you know, maybe MLS fans, can you coexist? Yeah. All that kind of stuff. All right. So let's let's flash forward to a little more recent timeline. But has has the team reached out to Blue Crew? Like, what are the conversations like on that front? It's still pretty early, but they did reach out to us pretty early on in the process. Um, I mentioned kind of late in the spring uh, we heard rumblings and kind of dusted off the old account to make sure our voice could be heard right um, but then it was about I'd say a month ago where we kind of heard oh this might happen and um, I think it was Angie who apparently had reached out and said hey we want to involve Blue Crew uh, they mentioned Kat our founder by name um, which she had mentioned she is a season ticket holder. Definitely showed she was because <laughs> if you came to FCKC games, especially early on, you knew Kat. Right. Or at least her voice. Yeah. And so um, they reached out to us then. And then on Monday, was that the day? Monday or Tuesday when they announced yeah. it. Um, we actually got an email right before the press release. So okay. they made sure to reach out to us. It's still early. It's only been a couple days, but 
I think we'll talk a lot more here soon. Right. In terms of an actual Blue Crew point of view, I mean, first of all, I mean, we also don't even know what the team's brand is. So like, is there a potential that Blue Crew kind of rebrands along with the team? I, it's early. So when we (laughs) started hearing the rumors, I was like, um, you know, I do a lot of the social media stuff. I was like, no, the Blue Crew name stays with FC Kansas City. So it's not FC Kansas City. It's, we're not taking that name. And then we got hundreds of new followers on Saturday. (laughs) And I'm like, I don't know if we can now. Like, now we backed me in a corner. All right. Um, I could maybe change the, yeah, Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Still some early discussions, I'm guessing. What, where are you guys followers? Yeah. Yeah. Where are the plans at? I mean, obviously, again, like what's, what's amusing is everybody's looking at the team itself, that organization in terms of the Mm -hmm. tight turnaround time, but also, you know, you guys are probably ramping from like 5% effort to needing to be at like 105% effort because you've got to rally support around a new team. Mm hmm. Uh, I mean, it's been three years. We officially, you know, before we closed, we were a nonprofit LLC. You know, we closed that. We got rid of all of our merch. We, I mean, the website stayed because I just am too sentimental to let that go, um, which is in hindsight a good thing. Right. But we have to get it going. But it's like we need a little more information, of course. Right. So I think that's why they really wanted to reach out to um, especially those of us who were there early, because we we know where to go to, we know people to reach out to. So if we have to do this quick, we we kind of know what to do and have the resources. Got it. Got it. All right. So let's zoom out because I mean we are really talking about the work of you know bringing professional soccer back to this market, right? And it's bigger than just this team. It's also bigger than even the supporters group in terms of amount of reach and all that kind of stuff. You know, and this is a question that I asked of Angie and Chris Long, right? Kansas City and I think Portland really like to fight over the title of biggest soccer city in America, Soccer City mm-hmm. USA. Um, I personally don't think that title uh, can be delivered until you have a professional Division One women's soccer team in the mix, right? Like you've, you've got to have that equal investment on the men's and women's side of the game. Do you think that there's something to having – NWSL back in the city that that gives that more complete, cohesive identity back to the market? Yeah, I think it definitely does. The The term Soccer City USA is one that's thrown out a lot, and it actually came from the fact that um, Sporting, um, KC, the Indoor Men's League, and FC Kansas City all won a title in the same year. Uh, so it was 13 to 14. That was six years ago. Um, if you really want to keep using that name, Soccer City USA, you have to show up. You have to show up. You know, obviously the support is there for Sporting KC. Uh, the Comets tend to get good attendance. Uh, there's also a USL team, but now um, the new KC team again. And you have to show up and you have to be there. And I don't know exactly who from the Utah roster is going to play. You know, maybe some will be traded, some will not. But these are world-class players. Um you have, you know, Olympians, you have World Cup players, you have Kansas City locals. And so if you want to be part of that, uh, if you want to talk about how much you love soccer, you have to support those players. Soccer City USA also, I think, it's not just necessarily about results, but it is mm-hmm. about that support in the community. I don't want to get you in too much trouble in terms of like, obviously, the stadium yes. discussion is getting a lot of attention. Yes. But... Even setting that aside, I think one of the things that I'm really interested in is, you know, we have seen in other markets where NWSL and MLS can work together, right? Mm -hmm. Kansas City wants to be a 2026 host city. And Angie and Chris Long are out here saying, like, we are working together. This is collaborative. Like, that is our driving force from, like, an organizational point of view. You know, our relationship with sporting is good. Um, you know, again, like trying to, to be diplomatic about it, but I'm, I'm curious in terms of the, the context, maybe from 2017, we had seen FC Casey play at CMP, um, with, you know, like, a, I think they got a couple double headers, like in the sort of loosest sense of the, the term, right. With sporting. Yeah. Do you get the vibe that there is maybe this kind of like, Ooh, like we don't want to share our market or is that kind of an outsider read of me going, I don't know what else makes sense. (laughs) 
I don't know what else makes sense. Um, you know, sporting players showed up for, you know, FCKC for a couple of reasons. Obviously, there was overlap with players who were in relationships. You know, Dom and Sid were uh, probably the most famous. But um, so the players always supported each other. But I don't know if there's bad feelings that they're still holding on to, which is weird because Angie and Chris were not part of that team. This isn't the same team. Why are these bad feelings being held on since before? Um, I hope that's not it because that's just really immature. Right, um, right. So, yeah, yeah, it's just – it is weird though. Like, I mean, you're in you're in there. Like, you've seen it up close and personal. So because to me, like, who's looking at this from a distance, I'm just going like logically none of this makes sense. Like, mm-hmm. I think there is certainly – I think there are valid concerns to sharing a facility also because we have seen on the NWSL side where, and this is my, my, the personal bane of my existence, the schedule is kind of the last concern for the NWSL when they are sharing facilities with an MLS and potentially also a USL team because you're balancing the needs of a schedule for three teams. And when your MLS team is, is your primary tenant, the NWSL schedule, therefore, is the lower priority, right? So I do think that there are some legitimate logistical elements to potentially putting them in that stadium. But I think my bigger concern over the past, you know, couple of weeks since, since starting to report on this is really just, you know, fundamentally, I don't see NWSL and MLS being existential threats to each other. And I think ultimately it's better for both sides. If there is like that, that collaborative nature, that working agreement of, we have to join forces because, first of all, soccer is not necessarily the number one sport in this country, but also ahead of a 2026 World Cup on home soil, which also NWSL is looking at as this is a huge, you know, all all boats are going to rise on this tide. Why would you not be like, okay, it's time. We're going to hold hands again. Here we go. Well, the funny thing is I understand CM Park um, to, to a degree, um, but there's been a Twitter uh, – Somewhat on Twitter, I've seen multiple times like, hey, my lacrosse team played on this field. <laughs> and I know that, oh, yeah. Yeah. And I know that uh, concerts have been held on it. Uh, but it's not just CM. It's they have other training facilities that would work. Um, they have their partnership with U.S. Soccer with some of those fields. So they have access to a bunch of fields that you would think wouldn't really make a difference right. um, to them for day to day, still good facilities. So I don't get it. The only thing I could see, and this is my personal views, not the personal views of anyone anyone else, is I don't think it's the FO and I don't think it's Rob, the guy people associate mm-hmm. with the owner. Um, he's a very minority owner now. And so my theory is it's the other owners. And I yeah. don't know why. Yeah, that is kind of the the general working assumption. I think people are going on Twitter that, that Rob Heineman is kind of like, don't shoot the messenger type yeah. of role, right? Like just because he's online does not mean that he's mm-hmm. necessarily pulling the shots on this. Yeah, front. he doesn't have as much of a say as he did now that he's a minority owner. So. Right, right. All right. The one that I wanted to end on with you is basically just giving you the platform to tell maybe existing, but also new potential fans in Kansas City how they can get involved in uh, Blue Crew or, mm-hmm. you know, name TBA. Um, and and also, like, what you you need from the larger NWSL community at this point. Yeah. Well, in the three years since uh, FC Kansas City folded, the NWSL community has changed so much. Um, I think that the season after we folded um, and Boston folded and Sky Blue had problems really – shifted the league and it's completely different. Um, So we really want people to get involved who might be those new fans with new perspectives or people who were a little hesitant to, you know, come in, join us before. Um, We were kind of a smaller, I think that was part of our charm was we were kind of the smaller supporter group and that was great, but we did all the work and we're, you know, we want, we want to spread that out because everybody has a unique perspective and can bring more to supporting the team. Um, so just kind of watch Twitter. We're going we're gonna to talk to the team. We're going to talk to each other and figure out what we want to do, how to support, and how we can help others. Um, it doesn't just have to be Blue Crew slash whatever our name would be. Um, 
you know, I think LA is going in with about 106 supporter groups. It seems <laughs> yeah. like it's just like for as many owners as they have, they have yes. as many supporters groups. Each yeah. owner has their own, which is great. Um, no, but that's fine. That's good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so whatever we can use from our experience of starting something from the ground and building it up, we're willing to share. We want to help, but really show up for this team. We got a second chance when maybe we didn't deserve the second chance. Um, let's show that, you know, this was the right decision. Uh, let's support the players, whether they are, you know, former FCKC players, um, KC locals, because I expect there to be a lot with you as coach or players we've never seen before. Um, let's just show up, support them and show them why FC, why Kansas city fans were so popular, um, the first time around and show that we are a really good fan base, despite other people not maybe coming to the games. <laughs> okay, perfect. And where, if people want to get involved, where can they, what's the best place to send them to? Yeah, uh, probably our Twitter account is going to be the best so far, which is, I just want to make sure I don't screw it up, uh, <laughs> at Casey Blue Crew. Um, okay. We will post updates. If you're on Facebook, that's the one I wanted to look to make sure I got it right. Uh, it's Casey Blue Crew 2012, which was when we were founded. Got it. Um, and other ways we're trying to do, uh, you know, we've been on most of the social media sites um, since before. Uh, I have to figure out putting us on new social media sites. <laughs> I registered for TikTok, even if all of us are too old for that. Yeah. I, I don't even, not... I just, whatever TikTok content floats to Twitter, that's what I interact with and yes. everything else. I'm just like, I'm in my thirties. It's too late for me. Goodbye. Yeah. I'm, I'm in my thirties. <laughs> I'm not supposed to do this, but I'm going to, I'm going to sit on the name. Yeah. So. Which is, yep. again, why you should reach out to us and join <laughs> so you can do that stuff. Right. Right. Perfect. All right. Well, thank you so much for taking yep. the time. Congrats on getting the second shot. Thank you. I, like, really cannot wait. Also, personally, cannot wait for the return of Kansas City Barbecue in my life on those trips. That was really one of the highlights of of those uh, <laughs> trips for oh, work. Yeah. So And see, uh, a nice thing about where the team's going to play is there's barbecue very close by. All right. Well, that is very, very good to know. Again, thank you for all the time. Super appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks, Meg. All right. Thank you to Chris and Danielle for their time. It is definitely important to balance both the Utah and Kansas City sides of this week's news. Just on a programming note for the show, so everyone knows what to expect the rest of this month as we approach the holidays, my plan is to take two weeks off from the podcast for Christmas and New Year's and then be back with you on January 7th as we kick off 2021. Now, knowing the NWSL, that plan could change and maybe we need an emergency episode if there is something truly bonkers that goes down. You never know with this league, but please cross your fingers that I actually might get a week off to close out 2020. All right, one more thing as always. And actually, I have a question for you, the listeners. Is anyone else out here on Zwift? Now, I've been trying to walk myself into a little more consistent exercise. Uh, We have some options here in our tiny apartment, but now that I have my bike in New York City, while we are fortunately right on on a safe path to ride, it is also cold. So I picked up a smart trainer and have gone all in on Zwift. I am not good by any stretch, but if you have have some Zwift tips, let me know, especially if you know whatever the secret is to actually connecting my MacBook to the smart trainer via the Swift app because I have just been wildly unsuccessful but would love to use my laptop. Any tips? Super appreciated. Anyway, all right. So if you were actually listening to this podcast for soccer stuff, again, please, as always, tell your friends, subscribe, rate, review. I mean, you know the drill at this point. Full Time with Meg Linehan is on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, The Athletic, really wherever you listen to your podcasts, I promise we are there. We are also 20 ratings away from that nice number of 500 on Apple Podcasts. I have no idea why I'm fixated on this number, but I am. So thank you to everyone who has nudged us closer to that 500. Also, thank you to Eero86 for the latest review. I thought it was very nice. The best podcast, uh, anybody looking to follow women's soccer in the United States with such limited but growing coverage of women's soccer, the discussions on this pod help fans understand what is going on with the NWSL, U.S. Women's National Team, and beyond. Thank you, Meg, and The Athletic for providing this pod for fans who may not have the time to search the internet to corral this content from multiple sources or social media.
All right. So if you do enjoy this podcast, then what I attempt to do on it, but do not yet subscribe to The Athletic, but you would also still like more women's soccer coverage and more sports coverage. Again, that link is always theathletic.com slash full-time. Reminder, we've got that buy one, gift one deal going through the end of the month. As always, you can find me on Twitter at It's Meg Linehan. Our podcast producer is Michael Zimmerman. From The Athletic, I'm Meg Linehan. Thank you for listening. Thank you.